Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. If you would get your Bibles, open them up to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to continue on from where we left off last week. Again, the church in Thessalonica was uh, was it was a cultural boiling pot with the circumstances uh, that surrounded uh, the region at the time. And Thessalonica was a fairly new church. It was something Apostle Paul had established, but it was under the pressure of. Uh, the the all of the religious systems in in the world and most of those religious systems before Christianity were very exclusive. Jews didn't easily accept outside people who are not Jews into Judaism. They just didn't do it. Uh, Greco-Roman pantheism. If you didn't believe it the way they believed it, they didn't want you to be a part of it. Uh, so the Christian, when they came along, the Christian, they seen this untapped resource. The, the Jews and the Greco or the Romans, they seen this untapped resource and said, hey, we need to start opening our doors. Well, one of the problems was that when individuals truly come to faith in Christ, how hard are they to turn away from it? They're pretty hard to turn away from it if they've truly given their life to Christ. They're pretty hard to turn away from it. Now, there are a lot of individuals, it seems like the world we live in today, are pretty easy to turn away. And these are the ones that evil is always targeting. It's always either the very young Christians or it's the individuals uh, who don't know Christ um, and, and want to be a part of something that's a new movement. How many of you guys ever was a part of something that just because it was exciting? I mean, that's if it wasn't exciting, why would you go? I mean, honestly, why would you involve yourself in something that was boring? I don't get the, I don't get the philosophy behind that. People back then were being bombarded by these religious systems if they were Christians. And it didn't matter what people had to do in order to, to convince them that their Jesus was a fraud. So they would throw questions in individuals' minds constantly as to whether Jesus had already come or whether Jesus was coming at all. What Did he really mean what he said when he was here? And these are questions that Satan will ask us. And if you remember, I mentioned about the buoys, where the, the lessons we learn in life and the things, that, the things that are our experiences, if we're individuals who have the ability to make those mistakes and learn those lessons and then set a buoy in that spot, then it helps us not to make those mistakes again. Because the difference is this, they're allowed to do whatever they want to. We're not. I'll tell you now, this is one of the things that has burned my biscuits as a fallen human being my entire life in ministry. When you can't treat other people the way they treat you. Because the flesh, it just wants to rip into people and say, I am justified in this. But we're going to find a point at the end of this. The point? The point is the entire reason that they're allowed to do what they're doing is because they're out of control. And the entire reason that we are not allowed to do what we want to do as human beings is because we are not in control. At least we shouldn't be. I see an awful lot of control in human lives these days. And a lot less of Jesus' control in individuals' lives these days. But the point is this. When we see individuals out there, do you think the people in Thessalonica, 
Do you think those people in Thessalonica saw every one of the individuals who were treating them badly as enemies? How often do people try to save their enemies? That's what this entire chapter is about. It's about accepting the things in our life as they are, even the mistakes you make. Can you go back and correct them? Can't correct them. Accept them. Learn lessons from them and put them to practice. That's what God expects of us. He expects that of us for this reason. They're not out there trying to save people. Jesus is trying to save people through us. And as I said last week, that requires sometimes us to go into very dark places and experience some very painful things. It requires it. But why? Does Jesus just want me to suffer? Does he want me to struggle my whole life? No. He wants those people to be saved. And I believe wholeheartedly that God has allowed me to craft my life through his influence. My circumstances are what they are because nobody else can reach the people that I can reach. <coughs> Wasn't a proud statement. Nobody can reach the people you can reach either. So do you see him as an enemy? Someone you would never waste the time and effort to save? Or do you see him as a victim? Who's actually been influenced by the evil of this world and who have been pushed to the places that they're at? And this is a mentality you better hold on to, and I'll tell you why. We start CR... You bet. There's potential. We're going to get some guys in here that look like rough characters. May even have some habits in life that aren't the best of habits. But if Jesus was standing here and that man walked in the door, would he send him away? Doesn't matter what he did. And, and anything that he did, how is it worse than what we did? Matter of fact, we should be individuals who feel like we are the favorites. Because at least we can make mistakes and be forgiven for them. They can't. We have the capacity of knowing the difference between right and wrong and clearly making a choice that glorifies Jesus Christ. They can't. They don't know how. So if we see every person on the planet as an enemy, we're not going to try to save them. And this is the point. Jesus is saying, don't get scatterbrained. This is what God's telling us through Paul's letter. Don't get scatterbrained. They're doing what they do. Now you do what you do. Did you notice the first couple of verses in that chapter? He nailed down those individuals who were causing problems all the time that he spent on them. The rest of it was all about you remembering the promises and you remembering the purpose and you remembering the plan and you remembering that in every situation in life we make choices and we do things and those things have everything in the world to do with Jesus Christ's success or not. And I'm telling you, I have brothers who theologically will argue with me, but I will stand on that statement. Because there's no evidence to prove otherwise. God will let you make mistakes. He'll expect you to learn the lessons from it, and he'll expect you to be sanctified through the experience. That's what his expectation for us is. Could you imagine if his expectation was, don't you blow it? 
Or what if he said, you know what, all the way up to the point that you said you was going to trust in me, I gave you, in my mind, 25 opportunities for you to do the right thing. All 25 times, you did the wrong thing. You go to hell. Congratulations. Who wants a standard? Who gets to pick it? If God gets to pick the standard, then why do we think that those lives are any different than our individual ones? Why do I make the money I make? Because God said it so. Why do we do what we do? Because God said it so. Now we can either be mindless zombies and walk around and just say, God said it so, God said it so, God said it so. Or we can look ahead of us and see that God said it so for a reason. He reminds us of these things for a reason. He's repetitive in the scripture in these things. And life is a whole lot easier to swallow when you realize that you are where you are because you have purpose, not because of a lack of it. Did you hear that? Wasn't in my sermon. So write it down because that was straight from God. Our lives, they matter. Purpose doesn't come with an income. It doesn't come with a title. Purpose doesn't come with a building. It doesn't come with an automobile. Purpose comes with one thing and one thing only. And that's the vision that Jesus Christ gave every one of us on the day that he gave his life. Because everything that we're doing right now, what's it lead to? Because I'll tell you something that's a universal truth. All, all paths do lead to God. Not everybody's going to be his friend. But everybody's path will lead them straight to the creator of the universe. No way around it. In life, all of the worries, every bit of the baloney that we deal with, on the day we take our last breath, how much of it's going to matter? And if you took the next million years and you painted a million years on the end of a rope, and you made the rest of that rope, by definition, eternity. How long is that million years? It's a very, very short time. Because eternity is forever. What's life expectancy? I think it's around 76, 78, depending on if you're a male or female. So you live, you live 76 to 78 years of your life worrying about everything under the sun without the thought that God is the creator. He is the one who has set your life through his leadership where it's at for a reason. The mistakes you've made that you never let go, he used the lessons learned for his reason. This is why Paul had to clarify and say, well, do we sin so that grace may abound? God forbid. In other words, we don't run around and say, God can use us for good, I'll run out and sin. We can't say that. But we can say that God can make all things of the good to those who know him and are called according to his purpose. Right? The promises mean everything. As individual believers, if we don't center ourselves, we turn ourselves into the victims. And when we're the victims, we go into defensive mode and we try to defend ourselves against people who don't know any better. They don't know any better. 
Start with verse 12, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. I want you to look at this in the way that it reads. He says, hold the people who teach you in high esteem. What does that mean? I actually have pastor friends who say, um, it says that they're worthy of double honor, so whatever they're making, double their paycheck. Do you know what makes my life so much more enjoyable? It's the last part. Live in peace with one another. Do you know how centered and focused I get to be when the church gets along with each other? And I'm not saying there's problems, but I'm saying we should always be individuals who are cautious. How many of you in here know exactly how heavy my load is every day? What about a Sunday school teacher's load? A deacon's load? Treasurer's load? Do you have any idea how heavy those loads are? How many of you guys, if you believed that every time that you sinned, you were putting Jesus back on Calvary, that wouldn't create a little bit of a heart poke? One thing I told myself when I was much younger, because I trusted in Christ and I would return back to some of the things in life that were not God-honoring, and it crossed my mind one day, every time that I intentionally, willfully sin promise you I could hear that hammer hit that nail the difference was it wasn't a Roman soldier holding at that time it was me I know almost all of you in here and almost all of you very well and I believe in my heart of hearts that every one of you have the best of intentions when it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ and what it is that you want to see him do in the world in your families and the people that you know. And I'm telling you, we can be much more intentional in this. You ever wear your emotions on your sleeve? Most of us do from time to time. It's pretty hard to miss in some cases. Frustrations are going to come. People are going to make mistakes. I've stood up here, I don't know how many times in 20 years and let you guys know that if I haven't let you down yet, I will. Because I'm a human being. I would never do anything to hurt any of you intentionally. Ever. As God is my witness. But there's a good chance you stick around me long enough, I will will hurt you unintentionally. I try to be more cautious with those things. Do you hear my brain? Do you think I need more up there? You want to esteem people very highly? Take what your Sunday school teacher teaches you and remember it. That's how you esteem them. I guarantee you that if there's a Sunday school teacher, adult, child, whoever it may be, there is no greater joy that you could put on the heart of that teacher than for their students to walk away from a classroom not only hearing it, but understanding it and being willing to implement it. 
if you offered a teacher who's heart in the right place a healthy paycheck in place of that pay, they wouldn't take the check. When people leave church, I know that they go back out there in the real world. And I know how hard of a struggle it is when people leave in uh, a building on the weekend where they have everything in common with each other and they share a relationship with each other and the love relationship that they share with each other is Jesus level. But then when you leave this place, you no longer have those protections. You no longer have those shields. You no longer have those encouragements. It's just like I've always said about Bates Creek Camp. Bates Creek Camp is awesome. You take a kid to Bates Creek Camp, that kid will get lost in their life for four days. They will forget the problems from up here. They will separate themselves from the world and God will have them for four days. And I warn them every year before they leave. You're about to leave the bubble. When you leave the bubble, everything that you left is going to be waiting for you. And it's reality. Just how hard do we fight? How hard do we struggle inside to make sure that what we're saying is going to produce what God wants produced? How much does it hurt our hearts to think about making a mistake that may break someone else's? Because it's not about the law of self-reservation. We don't say what we say to keep our job. When I look at individuals' lives, I see a person. As I get to know that person, I get to know more and more of the building blocks. What makes them tick? How did they grow up? What kind of influences did they have? How did those influences lead to the struggles that they have today? And how can I involve myself in their lives to lessen those struggles? And if I'm walking around maintaining people's relationships, guess what I'm not doing? I'm not saying I maintain a lot of people's relationships. I'm not. There's nothing... I mean, it's, it is a joy and a pleasure of mine to be able to counsel people. I love to do it. There's a difference between counseling people, though, and two adults who can't sit in the same room with each other because they can't have compassion for one another. People in competition over who hurts more. We've all done that. Come on, when's the last time your spouse said something like she had a headache and you didn't come off with, my sinus has been running. If you think that's not at the heart of competition, I don't know where you think that comes from. Your spouse just told you that they have a problem and you came back with your problem. It's kind of productive. How about you hold your problem to yourself for a little while, take care of your wife's problem. And then she'll feel better and guess what she can do? She can help take care of yours. It's amazing how that stuff works. And nobody's perfect at this. But he did knock it out really quick. Live in peace with one another. 14. And we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men. Admonish the unruly. You know what the word admonish in the Greek, it, it, means, uh, it means to to warn 
to rebuke gently is the definition of it. So it's a warning. In other words, you're not walking up being accusive to somebody. You're not throwing out, you're doing this wrong. It's a warning. You approach it with more of a gentle attitude, not an accusive attitude. Um, so when he says, admonish the unruly, we urge you, brethren. You see, hear the urgency. He didn't just start off with, admonish the unruly. We urge you, brethren. How important is this stuff when he says, we urge you, brethren? Admonish the unruly. Now we've got to take a look in context with what was going on in the church, which I've already um, coincidentally explained to you. When you say admonish the unruly, it means to warn individuals. So if a person was to walk in the church and say, hey, Jesus already came back. I don't know what you guys are waiting on. You would walk over to this person, put your arm around them, gently walk them out the front doors of the church, and you would say to them, Jesus has not returned yet, but he will be. And I hope that the opportunity is taken advantage of when you see it and that you trust in him and you turn around and walk away. You just warned him. You don't get to come in and tell lies. I'm going to tell you the truth and then you're going to walk. I'm not going to be mean, but I'm not going to be nice. I'm going to be very matter of fact. Why is that so important? If you want to get rid of the unruly, you can't ignore it. It cannot be ignored. I don't know if you guys know this yet. People either love me or hate me. There are very few people that are in between. I mean, it's just the way that it is. And, and, and a big part of that is, come ask me a question. But please know that I am bound by God to tell you the truth. It's a warning. I'll do it with love, but I'm not going to do it wishy-washy like I question what the Bible says when I know for a fact what it says. So when somebody comes to me and says, I'm going to divorce my spouse, I don't really have a good biblical reason for it, am I supposed to just go, well, for the sake of happiness, then ta-ta. No, you go right down the line. You start warning them. You're about to make the biggest mistake of your entire life. You're going to have a blast radius that you can't see because of the selfish blindness in your eyes. You're going to create more hurt and pain in people's lives than you even begin to imagine. Warning. I'll tell you something that's happened over the years and it's something I kind of found out just through experience. If you speak that homosexuality is a sin... Homosexuality, homosexuals will not sit in your pews. Which I'm completely okay with. I wish they would come and sit, but I'm not going to stop saying that homosexuality is sin. But I'll tell you what else I'm going to do. I'm also going to point out that gluttony is too. And in Baptist circles, it's a problem. So admonish the unruly. What's the unruly? It's the people who don't like to follow the rules. Well, you say, well, the Bible doesn't have any rules. Of course it does. Jesus has laid all kinds of rules down in my life. He doesn't have rules in this Bible that says you have to live up to in order to be saved, but he certainly has rules that he's laid out in my life. I've gone over it with dancing before. Is there anything wrong with me dancing? 
Nope. Anything wrong with me dancing with my wife? Nope. Anything wrong with me dancing with my daughters? Nope. Anything wrong with me dancing with your wife? That's not a written rule anywhere in the Bible. But it's my role to support the integrity that the Bible exhibits. See the point? Our lives are carved by the biblical knowledge we have and the amount that we allow it to penetrate. God is, it's our steering wheel, literally. It keeps us on the highway. And when we run off the highway, he's got the free and eternal AAA to come along and pull us out and sit us back on the highway. And we take off again. And sometimes we drive through gravel roads and sometimes they're dirt roads. Sometimes they're sand roads. Sometimes they're flooded. But everything that God's taught us it gives us the ability to maneuver the difficulties and the challenges and the struggles. The danger in this is people go, holy cow, God did this to my life? No, he didn't. Matter of fact, if he had his way, nobody would need salvation because salvation would be accomplished for everyone. What he did do was he gave every one of us free will. And they say, well, well, what's your argument behind free will? I'll tell you what my argument real quick is behind free will. How many of you guys have got kids? Got kids? You want your kids to love you because they want to or because they have to? Want. Which means you have to leave that choice up to them. Right? This is who our God is. He's created us all. He wants a relationship with us, but if he forces us into a relationship with him, is a forced relationship a relationship? It's not. So he says, you live life as long as you need to to find out that it is not fun. Then come see me. You always send somebody along the way. And, and you may be different than me, and I know my, my wife's one of those unique individuals, but by the time I found Jesus, I was wore out. Drugs, alcohol, just the way I live life, full throttle on nitrous. I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade this life for nothing. We need to make sure that other people know what that life's like, that it's obtainable that they can actually get it. Because I tell you right now, if you're someone who's a believer in Jesus Christ and you have found peace in your relationship with Jesus, I want you to think by comparison the individual out there who is either a young Christian or without Christ and think of the difference between your worries and concerns and theirs. They're different. And I guarantee you their list is a lot longer. kind of helps a little when you look at them like that and you don't see them as an enemy but you see them as someone who's a badminton who's being beat around by satan their entire lives so i'll tell you how to solve that folks let's get mad at them that's what jesus wants Fifteen says, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. Seek out what's good. You know what has to happen in order for you to seek? 
You have to donate the mental time and energy to do it. And all it takes is a compassionate heart to see the need. And how hard is it to do good? Pretty easy to do good for one another, right? What about that last part, though? And for all people. You guys want to seek after that which is good for pedophiles? Ooh. That just got personal to me. Those are unforgivable. But it's probably a pretty good thing that I didn't get to hand out justice anyway. Because by that rule, I would be judged too. Oh, preacher, we didn't know you was a pedophile. I'm not a pedophile. But I'm anything else under the sun that disqualifies me. And what makes a liar any more ugly than a pedophile? In God's eyes, they're just as messed up as we ever were. They're just messed up in a different way. Funny how we've kind of become a culture of individuals who have accepted some of the messed up and rejects some of the other messed up. The truth is it's all messed up. Verse 16. Rejoice always. It's got its own verse. It ties with the gospel according to John chapter 11, verse 35. Jesus wept. Rejoice always. Let me ask you something. Do you need a reason to rejoice? And if you do, why? Here's something that's always bugged me. How much is everybody all about baby Jesus at Christmas time? Woo! He's all that, right? But compared to Christmas time, how much attention does he get otherwise? Because for a believer, when's Christmas? Every day you open your eyes is Christmas if you're a Christian. Because we don't pick one day of the year or even a pre-day of the year to celebrate the greatest gift given in all of history. We should be celebrating that every day. Rejoice always. How many of you guys ever said, why did that just happen to me? God willed it. You okay with it now? Because we should be okay with it anyway. We sh- it shouldn't require God to pull up and say, hey, by the way, this is according to my will, so even though it's going to hurt a little bit, it's going to bring me glory, so just hold on tight. <laughs> he puts the lost world in front of us. He gives us opportunity. We take advantage of that opportunity, whether we do it God's way or not. To walk away from a person is a choice. I didn't do nothing wrong. I didn't say nothing. That was the problem. That was the wrong. The wrong was saying nothing. You can walk past an old lady trying to put a 50-pound bag of dog food into her trunk all day long, but if the Holy Spirit says, hey, you go pick that bag of dog food up and get it in that lady's car for her, you do it. And if the Holy Spirit says, she lives in Park Hills, you're going to follow her home and take it out of the trunk, you do it. 
You don't go, oh, where's my gas going to come from? And all this wear and tear on my vehicle, who's going to cover that? But isn't that who we are? We don't look at our circumstances as saying, God's put us here for a purpose. We're here to do something for him. He's allowed it because he's glorifying himself in you. Not because he's mad at you. Not because he's walked away from you. But because he's using you. The only thing that speeds up the amount that he uses you is how quick we're willing to learn. I fought him for a long time. I've done that several times in my life. He tells you to do something you don't want to. Or he tells you not to do something that you want to. Thank golly, I thought I left the house when I was a kid and got away from that. Your life isn't so simplistic. You think it is. Because you're living it one breath at a time. But your life is a network of Jesus in every step that you take. The Apostle Paul, just like the example I used last week, but this one I'll use a different one. Did you ever see the Apostle Paul imprisoned and bummed out? No. When you read the book of Philippians, it kind of sets this mentality into place. The church in Philippi, oh, boo-hoo, you've been arrested and they're treating you badly and you can't see all your people and you got boo-hoo, boo-hoo. And Paul goes, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Me being in here provides me an opportunity to share the gospel with people that I would never get to otherwise. So the difference between Paul and us is Paul found the circumstances that he was in just by living life And he looked in that difficult circumstance and he said, wow, look at the opportunity I wouldn't have had otherwise. Your life's the exact same thing. Those things that have happened, those are your prisons. The problem is we spend all of our effort fighting to try to break out of the prison instead of just stopping, looking around and asking God, why am I here? Because I guarantee you, that's what this is all about. That's what every ounce of difficulty and struggle you're going through is about. And I promise you that if you ask him that question with with full expectation of an answer, he'll give it. How can I say that? Because it's not beneficial to his will for him not to. This is the same thing as people saying, I just, Lord, give me the ability to share the gospel. Do you think that God is not going to give you the ability to do something that he asked you to do? He's given it to us. We have the ability in us. We've locked it up behind our fear. And instead of us saying, wow, God did get me here. He provided me the opportunity, the words to share. Now I'm going to be faithful and do it. Happiness is everywhere, folks. God's on his throne. I had somebody the other day, I'm praying for you. I've got a, I have one person, and I can tell you, they don't, they don't come here much. Uh, they're going to start coming back hopefully for long. They've had some health issues they've been dealing with. But uh, 
sends me a message one day and he says, hey, I just want you to know you're heavy on my heart. I know that you're dealing with some stuff and, and uh, uh, you just need to know that the, the war is over. It's true. Jesus won the war, amen? Are you still fighting battles? No time to rest. Rejoice always, even when you're wore out. Rejoice always, even when you're depressed. Rejoice always, even when you're stressed. Rejoice always, even if you're unfaithful. You say, what? Rejoice if I'm unfaithful? What does that say? Rejoice always except for when you're unfaithful? Again, folks, if you're a believer, you're going to tell me that you're going to live a perfectly faithful life the rest of your life? There is no way. It can't be done. The question is, with a true believer, how does God use that failure? You don't rejoice in your sin. You rejoice in the result of it. You rejoice in what God's doing in your life while you're trying to figure this out. You're putting one foot in front of the other just like everybody else. But I can promise you, as we put these pieces of this puzzle together, it makes much more sense and we become much more intentional. Meaning things start to, to frame in your mind where you can look at a person and say, I know how I can help that person. Even if it's just a prayer. Seventeen, pray without ceasing. I've I've had teenagers ask me this question. They come up to me and say, "How are you supposed to pray without ceasing? Walk around with your head bowed, and your hands in front of your face like this? And what if you're driving down the road? You have to let go of the steering wheel." Let me tell you something. This is not your prayer pose. You will not find it anywhere in the Bible. I realize that it's on the front of our prayer of our prayer sheet. It is a symbol that reminds us of what prayer is, but God does not say, put your hands in front of you and bow your head. I'll tell you what he does say to do, bow your heart. He doesn't care if you're looking up. He don't care if you're standing up. He don't care if you're sitting down. He don't care if you're laying down. He don't care what you're doing or where you're at. If you bow your heart, you're praying. And that means when you go through the day, it becomes habitual. Sometimes you say things out loud and people look at you like, weirdo running around talking to himself. No, it's just me and Jesus, we're hanging. I think they looked at me funny the first time. Pray without ceasing. I can see everything. Show up this morning, I find out something new about somebody. Guess what I get to do about it? Do you guys want to hear a you guys want to hear a concept that is kind of foreign to Christians? Praying out loud is not a thing. It's not. As a matter of fact, if you look at prayer the way that people do it today, it cheapens it. There are people who even say they'll come in and visit a church and they will gauge that church. They will scale it on its level based on the number of times that they hear a prayer from beginning to end. Be sure that you pray before you eat your meal. Be sure that you pray before you go to bed at night. 
What have we just done? When we say pray before your meal, pray before you go to bed at night, what have we just done? Is that without ceasing? No, we are dictating now to our kids, our grandkids, and everybody around us that prayer is a thing. It's not communication in a relationship. Because prayer is supposed to be communication between two individuals in a relationship, one being God, us being the created. Now, do we, is there anything wrong with praying out loud? No. You know what the purpose is of praying out loud? For the encouragement of the hearer. For the encouragement of the hearer. Matter of fact, when Jesus addressed praying, what did he say you do? Go into your house, enter your closet, and let no one else know. In other words, how pious is it for someone to say that the quality of this church is based on the number of times that it says a prayer in the morning? That's a rule. That's not a relationship. Pray before your meal. Nothing wrong with it. I think that it's great for an example to the kids, them learning how, how we're supposed to prepare ourselves, our hearts, our minds, how thankful we are for the things that God provides. I don't think there's anything wrong with it as long as it a prayer that's being made in a length of prayers that have been made, being made all day long. You get to where you see a billboard, you and Jesus talk about it. Here's something on our radio, you and Jesus talk about it. You think about something from somebody at church, you and Jesus talk about it. You got aches and pains, you and Jesus talk about it. Pray without ceasing. I've, I've told you guys this before, and I'll say this again with absolute affirmation. Please don't take this as a slap. Some of you probably will know exactly what I mean by this. There are times where I feel alone. Never that God's left me. But there are times that I feel like human beings don't. They don't like hanging around. There's no... I don't even know where to expound on that. I've pressed in my mind that he'll never leave me or, or forsake me. I've had people that I've said things to turn around and share those things with other people. Jesus won't do that. I have people, because I'm a pastor, who will listen to me say something that might not be quite right but would never say anything to me because they feel like I'm superior to them or that they may hurt my feelings. What do you think Jesus says? He pulls no punches. You want to know how Christians stay sane? You want to know how you get constant instruction day after day? How the sanctification manifests itself in our lives? Just talk to Jesus all day long. Makes sense. I mean, the bad things that you've done in your life, how many of those bad things would you have done if Jesus was sitting next to you? And when people leave church, it's easy. A day or two, people just go on about their lives. It's, it becomes about the calendar, the schedule, the things they got to do for the day. It doesn't become as much about Jesus. Pray without ceasing. He keeps me sane. He keeps me level. He's the one that backs me down when I get looking in the wrong direction, feeling the wrong way. He's the one that lays people on my heart in the midst of all of those difficulties. I can be honest with you and tell you that without Jesus, my life would be a mess. It would absolutely be a mess. Because I don't know what I would I don't know what I would do if I didn't have him to talk me down. If I didn't have him to pick me up when I tripped sometimes, if I didn't have him 
given me the instructions on what people need. And we'll close with this one for today. I could turn this to a three-sermon series. Verse 18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I want you to focus on that for a second. Look at it. In everything give thanks, for this everything is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Remember when the Apostle Paul had that problem? Went to Jesus, he appealed to him three times. What Jesus said to him? My grace is sufficient for you. Now there's been theological arguments over exactly what the Apostle Paul's problem was, whether it was medical or whether it was an ongoing habitual problem that he had. Nobody knows for sure what that is, but Jesus Christ's statement was very clear. My grace for you, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, just like I said a while ago, give thanks for your hardships because it was God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I'll tell you a sadder circumstance than you going through hardships. God allowing circumstances to put a Christian in a place for a purpose who is so consumed by how it's affecting them that they leave that place and never accomplish what God sent them there for. Then the pain was literally for nothing. When we stay face forward, we know we have Jesus with us. And we know God doesn't do anything without intention or purpose. It is life-changing for us. For us to think about, it's no woe is me because of my circumstances in life. But it is you have purpose, regardless of the circumstances in your life. In some cases, I would argue, more purpose. Are we using it? Is that purpose being carried out? Are we staying sane? Or are we allowing all those hardships to have this negative impact on us and robbing Jesus Christ of his glory, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of the individuals that he sent us there for? Thanksgiving. In everything. Give thanks. You say, wait a minute, I had a loved one pass away. You mean give thanks to my loved one passing away? Yes. Yep. And you can do it. You have the building blocks of Christ, you can do it. Those promises, they start flooding back. They didn't leave us. They went where I was always supposed to be. Right? God, I asked you to heal him. I did. Yes, you did. Didn't look at it from that angle. Not only did I heal them, but they no longer have to leave their home again. And I had somebody ask me this question a while back. 
the two people I would consider very close to me, my dad and my little brother. If I could bring them back, as soon as they got back and seen me, what would they say? If I'm lucky, it would be that mild. I might hear my dad's old leather strap through those belt loops. Jesus can see us through every bit of this, and we can see his purpose in it. We just have to take a breath, back it up, pray about it, and let him show us. People who are out of control will never accomplish anything for the Lord. People who are under his control will accomplish more than they could ever fathom. Jesus is worthy of the effort. He's worthy of the plan. All that he needs. I still desire to know this for some reason. Is he included us in the involvement of it? He apparently thinks that we have value too. He apparently thinks that we can do it too. Because when you take some other promises of the scripture, God will never put more on you than you can handle. It's a promise too. We're building a pretty good little line of buoys, aren't we? Leave this place knowing you have purpose. Find that all of your happiness is not based on your circumstances, but based on the perception of your circumstances. Just like Paul could be bummed out because he was in prison, mm-mm, he's seen it as opportunity. I'm challenging you to do the same. And get it all straight before Thursday so you don't mess up your family's Thanksgiving. If you're here today and you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, maybe never followed through on believer's baptism, come up here and tell me you want to be baptized. Come up here and tell me you want to be saved. Don't do it because I asked you to. Do it only if the Lord leads you to, and you'll know what that you'll know what that means. If if He leads you to, you'll know exactly what that means. I can ask you to do nothing more than to be obedient to that. Believers, this is a life lesson that we learn probably once a year for our entire lifetime. Because your frustrations aren't going to stop; they don't go away. But I can tell you that our influence, when we are squared on Christ, our influence towards one another is always positive and it's always good. And we always have the ability and the clarity to see what Jesus is trying to do as long as we set all this stuff that's complicating our brains aside. And if we can see that God has done what he's done to provide us with purpose, then every bit of that weight that we was carrying, thinking, woe is me, my difficulties, the other heart. But what does, what does Jesus want you to do while you're there? Amen. Thank you, Brother Keith. And for those listening on the podcast, I want to offer that same opportunity to you to come to the Lord. If you've never placed your trust in Jesus, now is the time to do so. By default, we are all sinners, separated from God, and there is nothing we can do on our own to fix that. That's why God sent His only Son, Jesus, to come live a life without sin. He was put to death on a cross as a perfect sacrifice for that sin. And to seal the deal, He came back from the dead three days later. If you truly believe that and ask Him into your heart, you will be saved. If you're already a believer, 
This is a great opportunity to recenter your life in Christ. Take these next few minutes in prayer, and I'll be praying for you as well. Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. Have a blessed week and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.